The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Hello there and many thanks for joining me for another episode of Climate Matters. I'm Lindsay Wood, the Director of Climate Strategy Company Resilience Limited, and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and also other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, today we're bringing you a, an episode, which the um, Climate Matters 104, just out, and it's featuring uh, what we don't know and things we don't know we don't know. And it's going into areas like the censorship of scientific information, uh, the prevalence of sports washing around the world, trying to get social license for oil companies and the like, and what politicians don't know or think they don't know, and then uh, the stop press item on a chilling overheating forecast, and then with record temperatures of uh, maybe for 125,000 years, get that. Also a little bit on COP28 coming up at the end of the month, um, and a little bit of a cynical take. We'll also have a, a hot tip as usual. No quiz question this time. So on that note, let's get into Climate Matters number 104. Um, in the little editorial, I've basically said our personal climate knowledge is always in catch-up mode, and we must add a buffer for its shortcomings. By a buffer, I mean some sort of safety factor, safety margin, Engineers and project managers build them in all the time as a hedge against the reality proving more serious in theory. You know, um, an engineer designing a beam will work out what load it has to carry and then design it to carry a bigger load. If we're um, designing a building to cope with a certain amount of wind, then we'll usually have a wind load that's greater than the the, the theoretical load of the wind. That's a safety factor. We need that for our knowledge as well, is what I'm suggesting here. Um, science on the climate crisis is excellent, but it's dumbed down by a lot of invisible hands on the way through. We'll reference that. And in fact, even us individuals, we receive that dumbed down science filtered by politicians or the media. Sometimes it's willfully obfuscated or distorted and then we have a pretty good go at reframing it by our own involuntary biases. Um, there are well-known biases such as optimism bias and that sort of thing, or familiarity bias where we like to we give more credence to things which align with our own existing worldview and so on. So my thesis here is we got we've got to remain alert for the limitations in our own knowledge or the possible shortcomings. And when we decide to act, it will likely be that it'll take longer than we expect. So we really need to allow a bit of a safety factor there. So to, to come up with a, a tagline that I've used before and I've written it before, it's about catching up from falling behind on getting ahead. Okay, so what do I have to say about that? Well, 
allowing for things we don't know we don't know, as I mentioned in the intro. Should we be worried about what we don't know about censored science? The available climate science is pretty challenging, as anybody who's engaged with it knows, but the reality is that the actual science is likely a lot more challenging again. Climate matters 100 and 102, just to take two recent examples, reference climate scientists whose compelling climate messages seem to be falling on deaf political ears. A few years ago, the Australian think tank Breakthrough lamented the fact that even scientists struggle to portray the bad news as bad as it really is. Um, and so we've got issues such as uh, these cropping up all the time. And the ABC, the Australian's Broadcasting Corporations, recently did a report, which we'll put a link to on the website, on deeply troubling institutional gagging of scientists, which I've suggested maybe that's just the tip of a melting iceberg. So go on the on the Climate Matters page on the Fresh FM website, and you'll find a link to that ABC program. Uh, I've put a quote in there from Daniel Schmachtenberger. Some of you may recall I flag him as perhaps the most powerful intellect I've ever encountered. He's a remarkable guy. And the quote from him, together with a YouTube link, is, what does it take for any of this knowledge to matter? And that's him commenting on the huge amount of denialism that goes on when we know the consequences of our actions. Here's the stop press item that I mentioned. Should overheating be so chilling? Literally yesterday, so I'm recording this on the 9th of November, so on the 8th of November, EU scientists have just predicted with a high level of certainty that 2023, this year, will be the hottest for, as I mentioned in the intro, 125,000 years. That's phenomenal. Um, when you think that humans barely existed that long ago, it was only 60,000 years ago, only, he says, that we emerged as a species from Africa and started the diaspora that's taken the human beings around the world. So twice as long ago as that, we have never experienced heat like they're predicting for this year. There will be a link to an RNZ, a Radio New Zealand program on that. Um, and check out the off-scale... Uh, oh, no, <laughs> I'm reading about a graph I've got here. So I've included a chart which includes global temperature and global carbon dioxide levels and sea level rise. And they all show them peaking about 125,000 years ago and then declining steadily um, as we went into, for example, the last ice age, which we came out of about, well, 10 to 15,000 years ago. And now one of the th real features is that the carbon dioxide levels, and if you thought that what I just said about hottest day for 125,000 years, the carbon dioxide levels are soaring way above anything that's been experienced for far longer than that. So anyway, have a look at that uh, graph. If you can follow the link, we'll put a link on the Fresh FM website. And so um, one of the things in all of that is that's why we shouldn't be building more roads because this sort of stuff is the consequence of our driving. More roads attract more driving. We've got to find a way out of that vicious circle. Time to move on to the next item. Should we be worried about what we don't know about sports washing? 
There's been a lot about sports washing in the news lately. Um, in fact, I've called it the era of sports washing. And we become unwitting partners to the oil companies, what I've called sinister maneuvers. They really are um, of real concern, trying to build social license. The All Blacks advertise petrochemical firm Ineos on their kit. And anybody who now wears All Black gear is probably doing the same. They also are sponsored by Ultrad, a giant oil engineering firm that specializes in oil rigs and refineries and nuclear power stations and the like. That's what our national sports team is advertising. Um, Ineos have also just bought Manchester United. And the Arab Emirates own or host international golf, tennis, and football. Manchester City is owned by um, an Arab Emirate. Some New Zealand cycling is sponsored by local petrochemical firms. Got that? Is that coincidence? Yeah, right. Check out a, a link that I've given to a Politico sports washing article on Manchester United. And here's a little extract from that. The University of Sheffield found that the Manchester City Council had, quotes, sold the family silver cheap, close quotes, giving Abu Dhabi public land at a remarkably low rate, allowing it to funnel profits into offshore entities and circumventing affordable housing regulations. And that is all tied in to the, um, the fact that the, that emirate, Abu Dhabi has actually become entrenched in the Manchester's football scene. So what they're saying is you buy social license, you give them an easy ride, um, and yet they're one of the most damaging industries in the world. And you remember that we banned tobacco sponsorship and there was a fuss about that? Well, we should be banning oil company sponsorship. It's far more serious than even the tobacco industry. And here, uh, um, just in case you wondered where that unknown unknowns quote came from, it was from Donald Rumsfeld, who is a former U.S. Secretary of Defense, and he has quite a well-known quote which ends, but there are also unknown unknowns, things we do not know, we don't know. We have to recognize that. COP28, the conference of the parties run by the United Nations, here's the heading. Should COP28 be a turning point, brackets, but it won't be because of pressures not to be, close brackets. Every United Nations conference of the party is heralded as the most important ever. And in truth, it is. And here's the 28th one coming up at the end of this month. And it's the most important ever, largely because all of its predecessors were almost always dismal failures and ineffective. And so they didn't achieve what was needed, and that made the next one even more important. That is in part due to massive pressure from oil producers. They had the largest delegation at COP27, the last one. There were over 600 oil sector lobbyists, and that was more than any other country, any country had. They're not a country. There's a link to a French article there in Le Monde. It's not in French. It's in English. Um, for anybody who wants to check that out. And this year, COP28 is hosted by oil producer United Arab Emirates. So what chance there of getting um, a serious take on the fossil fuel industry? Add in that the political appeal of aspirational promises is great. 
Politicians love to be able to say great, give great promises, but they are averse to the resultant decisive action that's needed. And I'm picking that what we're going to get out of COP28 is our delegates returning with optimistic enthusiasm for things that turn out to be hollow promises. Here's what we're going to do, even if we don't actually intend to do it. Should we be worried about what politicians don't know about climate? So here's a little take for me on the, at this point in time, the exact balance of the final New Zealand government or parliament is not finalized. So this is, we're still in waiting mode. I believe that most politicians are inherently decent, well-meaning people. They've got different agendas, but they want to do their best. And that, for me, begs the question why they espouse so many short-sighted, climate-damaging policies. It's staggering. Are they ill-advised by the suppression of the scientific info that I referred to a few minutes ago? There'll be a link to that. Remember the ABC um, event, uh, program? Or maybe do deniers have lobbying access? There's been a lot of talk about lobbying access into government and lobbyists having easy access to the ears of politicians. Can't the politicians imagine what, quotes, even hotter years, close quotes, means? You know, as if it's not bad enough already? Or are they so indoctrinated by obsolete economic dogma that they have their minds closed to alternatives? I hope our new government remembers that recycling does not equal climate action. For those wondering about that, you may recall the Chris Hipkins and Christopher Luxon debate where they both said that's what they were doing for climate recycling. But I hope the new government proves me wrong on this. I've given a quote from a, a major article put out by world scientists on a warning that the issue we've got is really a behavioral issue not a physical issue, and here's the quote. Current interventions are largely physical, resource-intensive, slow-moving, and focused on addressing the symptoms of ecological shoot, such as climate change, rather than the cause, which is maladapted behavior, i.e. us behaving in a way that doesn't fit with the environment we're in. That's a very serious collection of scientists. Some of New Zealanders will know Mike Joy. Joseph Mertz is based in New Zealand as well. There will be a link to that on the Sage Publications website. So we're closing in on the end here, folks. Finally, a hotter tip for a cooler planet. I'll just first of all read you a little cartoon. It's a it's a picture of a of a grown-up sitting round a campfire in very austere situation with three kids. And the guy is saying, yes, the planet got destroyed, but for a beautiful moment in time, we created a lot of value for shareholders. Now to shift to the hotter tip for a cooler planet, and this is in, in anticipation of the impacts of, uh, of El Nino and what I reported before about the stop press item on 125,000 years. This is a very serious one. Plan how you will protect your family from summer heat if the power goes down. If the power goes down, heat pumps won't work, fans won't work. In some cases, the fridges won't work. So you, the question is, how do you keep cool when you've got a lack of those things? 
give it some thought. I'm sorry to end on a serious note. In fact, the whole episode today has been rather serious. I think climate matters is always serious, but some are more serious than others, and this was one of those. In any event, thanks for your company. I hope I enjoy it again soon, and kia kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.